this is um this is the first time I've done this, so um so let's um we'll see how we go. I find I'm often really distracted by things going on behind me when I'm, I'm watching videos in someone's room. If you're wondering if that picture behind me isn't straight, uh, you're right. It's not just your eyes. Um, when we moved seven months ago, the picture got slightly skewed. It's a, it's a picture of Hove Seafront, where we lived for seven years. We're going to look at uh, John 16, um, particularly verses 5 to 15 together. It'd be a really good idea just to pause this and, and read those verses. I'm not going to read them, but um, be well worth getting your Bibles open and, uh, and pausing this now and reading uh, up to verse 15 of John chapter 16. Uh, Jesus says you're, you're filled with grief to his disciples. We, we come here to a, a grief-filled moment between Jesus and his disciples in this intimate uh, upper room discourse. And it, it's not hard for us to, to feel something of, of that grief, is it? It's been a bewildering week for us as we've come to terms with life looking at very different, many of us self-isolating, uh, all of us um, social distancing from one another, uncertainty of what the coming weeks will look like, schools about to close, and all sorts of questions swirling around in uh, in our minds. What's it going to look like to do church in the, in the coming weeks? Uh, how's the, the mission of God going to move forward at this time? You're filled with grief. No doubt many of us have, have felt something of that over this, this last week. Remember the, the situation for the disciples here. Uh, in John 15, Jesus has said to them, um, the world's hated me and it's going to hate you also. Beginning of John 16, Jesus says, uh, some will go as far as putting you to death, thinking they're, they're doing my work. And yet you're still to go out and, and bear witness to me. Hated, potentially killed, uh, still to bear witness to Jesus. And as if that's not enough, the the cherry on top of the cake is, as Jesus says to them, to, to them and by the way, I'm, I'm off, I'm, I'm leaving, I'm going. It's not surprising, is it, that the, the disciples feel grieved. But what is surprising is what Jesus goes on to say in verse 7. Look at if you've got your Bibles. Truly, I tell you, it's for your good that I'm going away. Seems a very odd thing to say. It's good that, that I'm going is... You prepare for, for being witnesses to me and that being hard. It's good that I'm going. Maybe you've had the kind of conversation with someone where they've, uh, they've said to you, Look, if, I, if I could see Jesus, if he'd walk into this room now, well, then I'd believe in him. Jesus' reply to someone like that would be, actually, it's good that you can't. It's better that I've gone. And do you see what, why Jesus says it's better that he, that he goes? It's good that he goes? Because... Unless I go, verse 7, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus is, sorry, um, Jesus is saying that, that it, it, it's good that he goes because as he goes, the, the spirit comes. As he goes, the spirit comes. Lesson number one, make sure your phone is turned off. Um, sorry about that. Uh, it's good that he goes. And because as he goes, the, the spirit comes. Uh, we're going to see um, three ways in, in which it's good news that, uh, that the spirit comes. Uh, but it's worth just exploring what, what Jesus means when he says that the spirit comes. He, he's not saying that the, the spirit hasn't ever been around before. The spirit's around in, in the Old Testament. J.C. Ryle helps us when he says we, we should understand this as the spirit coming in greater energy and, and influence than has been the case before. 
You see that at Pentecost, don't we? When uh, huge numbers of people uh, are filled with the Spirit and we see the Spirit's greater influence and, and energy upon people. These the disciples felt horribly alone and we've We've, many of us felt something of that this last week, haven't we? There's a, a recent study in uh, survey in, in Scotland that said before social isolation and the restrictions came in, 95% of people in Scotland said they felt lonely at some point. The, the loneliest age group being those aged 35 to 54. Margaret Russell, who took part in the survey, said this, I would walk around the park and meet the odd person with a dog. I remember wishing those people would be my friend. Loneliness is a horrible thing, isn't it? And, and the disciples at this moment feel terribly alone as they prepare for Jesus going. And yet Jesus says, it's good that I'm going because you won't be alone. The Spirit comes and that's good news. Briefly, here's three reasons why it's, it's good news that Jesus goes and the Spirit comes. Here's the first. The Spirit exposes the world. Being exposed is a horrible feeling, isn't it? I remember in my Latin uh, Latin exam, absolutely feeling horribly exposed. I'd done Latin for a year. The highlight being at the start of the year when my Latin teacher said, does anyone know any, uh, any little rhymes about Latin? And I smugly put my hand up and said, I do, sir. Latin is a subject as dead as dead can be. It killed the ancient Romans and now it's killing me. Well, that was about as good as it got for me with Latin. I got 38% in the end of year exam. It's fair to say I wasn't encouraged to do GCSE uh, Latin. Generally, being exposed is a horrible thing, isn't it? And yet, uh, in John 16, we see that the, the Spirit's exposing is a good thing. It exposes in the sense that it proves the world, proves us to be wrong. Wrong, uh, if you look at verse 8, wrong about sin, righteousness and judgment. Wrong about sin. You see, we, we often think of sin as when we have a bit too much cake or we say something we perhaps shouldn't have done. But sin, the Spirit helps us to see, verse 9, is when we do not believe in Jesus. Sin isn't the little naughty things we do. Sin is, is unbelief in Jesus. And, and John is at pains to, to help us to see who Jesus is, that we might believe rightly in him. At the end of John's Gospel, John says, um, these things are written, this book is written, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, God's chosen one, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. You see, as we come to believe in Jesus, we have, we have life, life in his name, both now and eternally. The Spirit exposes us to see that sin isn't the naughty things we do, but it is unbelief in Jesus. It exposes our, our empty righteousness. Jesus, throughout his life, showed people that they weren't as good as they thought they were. Their righteousness was empty. And as he goes, verse 10, the Spirit carries on that work that Jesus had done of showing our righteousness to be empty, that we're not as good as we think we are. We, we need Jesus. And then lastly, exposes, exposing in regard to judgment, verse 11, about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. You see, many look at, at the cross and think that is the moment when, when Jesus is condemned. But the Spirit's work is to show that actually it's the moment the prince of this world, the devil, is condemned. Colossians, in Colossians 2, Paul speaks of, of at the cross, uh, Jesus making a public spectacle of the powers and authorities of this world, of the powers of, of the devil. And there he, he triumphs over them. You see, it's the work of the Spirit to, to see 
that uh, that it is the devil that's condemned at the cross. He stands condemned. He is a defeated enemy. In fact, the cross is a moment of victory, as much as it might not seem that at first sight. So what does the Spirit do? The Spirit exposes the world, proves the world to be in the wrong about sin, righteousness and judgment. And that's good news. It's good news because it means that it's not our job to be trying to do that. I wonder if you, you find yourself sometimes slightly paralysed in trying to tell people about Jesus because you think you've just got to get it all just right and you've got to have all the answers and you've got to be the one, one to try and prove to people what sin really is, what it is to, to be righteous, what it is to rightly understand the cross. Well, here in these verses we see it's not our job to do that, it's the Spirit that does that. And he uses our, our bumbling efforts, perhaps even over the coming weeks, our, our bumbling efforts online. So the Spirit exposes the world. Here's the second thing. The, the Spirit guides the disciples. Look down at verse 12. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the Spirit, comes, he will guide you into all truth. The Spirit guides the disciples into all truth and into what they'll go on and, and write in the rest of the New Testament. So as we, as we read the, the letters of the, of the disciples, the apostles, we're reading words that the Spirit has guided them into. Look at the logic of verse 13, uh, the second sentence, he, that's the Spirit, will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. You see the, the logic? God, God the Father reveals to the Spirit truth that the Spirit then guides the disciples into. So as we read the words of the disciples, we're, we're reading words that are, are spirit-guided for them. Theologians talk about the, the dual authorship of, of Scripture. That is, it's both a, a divine and human book. But those two things, are, are we shouldn't think of them as, as equally weighted. Ultimately, this is a, a divine book that God uses humans um, to, to communicate his words to B.B. Warfield uh, helps us to understand this a little bit more. He, he speaks of, uh, of those that God uses to write the Bible as, as instruments of revelation. Uh, and he clarifies what, what he means by that. And he says, as we, we read what, what human authors have written, they are receptively active, but not creatively active in this process. This process of, of writing down spirit-guided words. Here's what he means. The deceptive, the, sorry, the disciples are, are actively receptive. That is, God uses their personalities and, and their experiences and, and their intelligence. So that means that as we read John's letters and, and Paul's letters and Peter's letters, they have a slightly different feel because the disciples are, are receptively active. But they're not creatively active. That is, they're not at liberty to, to write words that they... Th- for themselves, they they are receptive to they are receptive to what God has said to them. They are spirit filled words, and God uses their personalities, but they're not creative with what they write down. So ultimately, as we we read the words of the apostles, we're reading words that God has given us, so we can read them with confidence. As we we read through the the letters and the, uh, those. Parts of the New Testament written by the disciples, we know that we are reading words that the Spirit has guided them into. We don't have to sort of think, can I trust this as much as other bits of the Bible? The Spirit guides the disciples into all truth. 
And here's the last thing, that the Spirit glorifies Christ. Look down at verse 14 with me. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. I remember, I remember growing up being intrigued by Jesus, but, but definitely not seeing him as, as someone who was glorious, intriguing history, figure in history, but, but not anything more than that. When I was 12 years old, I, I went on a, 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 a week away as a holiday camp for, for kind of 11 to 14 year olds. And one night, one man there explained the cross to me, and I'd heard it lots of times before, but suddenly I, I saw how glorious Jesus was, how, how wonderful his work was, how, how he was far more than just intriguing and interesting, but he was glorious. I didn't know it as a 12-year-old, but, but that's the work the Spirit loves to do, to, to show us that the glory of Christ, he, he loves to point away from himself and, and point to the Lord Jesus, to, to glorify him. The Spirit loves to glorify Christ. I wonder whether you'll join me in, in praying in this, this difficult season that the Spirit might be working in you to show you more of the glory of Christ. That as life looks really different in the coming weeks, that, that you'd see glories that you'd never seen before of Jesus Christ. And that as you look to grow more like Christ, you'd love to, to join with him in, in pointing away from yourself and loving to point to the Lord Jesus. Jesus says you're, you're, you're filled with grief. As we, we look in through the window of this, this upper room discourse, we, we feel something of that too, don't we? And yet Jesus says you are not alone. As we fear about what the, the mission of God might look like in, in the coming days and weeks and months, Jesus says you're not alone. You're, you're not left as orphans. It, it's good that I've gone, that the Spirit might come. And the Spirit is at work, exposing the world, helping it to rightly see then its need for Jesus. It has already guided disciples into all truth. So as we open up our Bibles, we know we can read those words with confidence. And the Spirit glorifies Christ, pointing away from himself, pointing to the glory of the Lord Jesus.